1953, Ethel and Julius Rosenberg became the first American civilians to be executed by the federal government for espionage. Convicted in 1951 of giving secret atomic bomb technology to the Soviet Union, they spent two years in prison trying to overturn the verdict. Promised their lives would be spared if they revealed the names of fellow communists, they refused. They were executed at Sing Sing Correctional Facility in New York on June 19, 1953, one day after their 14th wedding anniversary. They left behind two young sons. The passion of Ethel Rosenberg peers into her mind during those last two years as she struggles to choose between living for the sake of her children or dying at her husband's side. Playwright Edward Morris utilizes hundreds of letters that Ethel and Julius exchanged while in prison, in addition to other primary sources and newspaper accounts. The one-woman, three-act play featuring Carrie Pagetta as Ethel premiered in 2017 in Nashville, Tennessee. It is presented here as a three-episode podcast. I'm Natasha Sinyanovich, and this is The Passion of Ethel Rosenberg. Act One. Don't count us out yet. When the FBI arrested my husband Julius and me, they took on two tough Jews, I promise you that. Next week, we're finally going to trial, and we'll be hitting them with everything we've got. At least that's what our lawyer says. I hope he's right, because there's some tough Jews on their side, too. The government has charged Julie and me with giving Russia plans for building an atomic bomb. Can you believe that? How a failed machine shop operator, that's my Julie, and an overworked house fraud, that's me, could be mistaken for spies is a bigger mystery than what's inside a Coney Island hot dog. They also say we're communists, which is true, but off the point. Do they send you to prison for being a Democrat? The FBI came for Julie on a Monday night. We... We just finished eating supper, and Michael, our oldest, had his ear to the radio listening to the latest Lone Ranger episode. Robbie was already in bed. I heard a knock on the door and Julie asking someone to come in. Then about ten agents rushed past him and without a word of warning started rifling through our drawers and closets. I want to call a lawyer! They told me to shut up and get in the bathroom with the kids. Then they handcuffed Julie and took him away. Three weeks later, they came for me. FBI grabbed me off the street and brought me here. That was seven months ago, and I haven't laid eyes on my children since. Michael's seven. Bright as sunrise and sensitive to everything that's going on. Robbie is three. He's not as high-strung as Michael, but he knows I'm not there to read him bedtime stories and tuck him in. They gave me one phone call after I was arrested, and when I called Michael and told him what happened, the poor kid just started screaming. Michael! Michael! Calm down. You know how your nose bleeds when you get excited. Everything is going to be just fine. Just, there's been a big mistake. You know how it always happens to the Lone Ranger. People see his mask and think he's a bandit, but we know he's a hero, don't we? And the hero always wins in the end. We'll be like the Lone Ranger, okay? But you've got to be brave right now. Now our kids are being passed around like school pictures to relatives who don't really have time for them. That's got to be scary. 
My kid brother Davy, oh, he's scared too. The feds have scared him into testifying against us. See, he was an army machinist at Los Alamos, where they made the A-bombs we dropped on Japan. And he was also in the Communist Party back then. He swears he gave Julie classified information about the bomb to pass on to the Russians, and that I typed stuff up for him. That makes me a co-conspirator. But it never happened. That I can assure you. He's lying to protect his own tuchus. Some brother, eh? Where do we go from here, boys? Where do we go from here? Anywhere from Harlem to a Jersey City pier. When Pap would spy a pretty girl, he'd whisper in her ear. Oh boy, oh joy, where do we go from here? Where do we go from here? I used to hear World War I vets sing that song when I was little. I was almost seven when Davy was born. He was a chubby little fella who practically bounced every time he fell down, which was a lot. I loved to play with him and make him laugh. I'd set up chairs in a row and pretend we were driving one of those ritzy cars we saw on our street. Watch out, Davy! You almost ran over that horse. Slow down. You're scaring me. Slow down. You hear me? If you don't, I'll tickle you till your teeth fall out. <laughs> Not much to laugh about now. Manny Block, our lawyer, says the feds have a weak case against us and he can't imagine a jury convicting us. I guess I have a better imagination than he does. So many things have already gone wrong, not the least of which is my own brother turning Judas on me. When Davy left the army, he went into business with Julie. Oof. Davy and I, ugh, always an argument. And every argument came around to money, or the lack of it. See, Julie and I, we had a pretty nice apartment. $45 a month, but worth every penny. Davy and Ruth couldn't afford anything close to what we had. That made her resent us. And when she resents you, oh, you know it. And Davy's not the kind of man who would stand up to her. Not that he was the only messed up one. Jeez, my whole family was one messed up tribe of Hebrews. Julie's family, they stand by him. Mine? Mine acts like I'm an embarrassment to their good name. Like they had a good name. Growing up on the Lower East Side of New York in the 1920s was no Disney cartoon, I can tell you. Well, I guess you could call it Snow White and the Seven Rats <laughs> and the Leaky Roof and the filthy streets and that sweet, sick smell of cabbage soup and rotting garbage. My father, Bernie Greenglass, fixed broken sewing machines for a living. You can imagine how wealthy that made him particularly when he had to feed a nagging wife and four hungry kids. People who grew up poor always talk about the bright side. They say, well, at least we never went hungry. Well, we green glasses never went very hungry, but we didn't exactly have to loosen our belts after dinner either. I was born during what they call the Great War, September 28, 1915. Do I look 36? I do? Well, the lighting in here adds years. I'm the firstborn of the green glass children, unless you count my older half-brother Sammy from my dad's first marriage. Sammy's a schmuck too, just like Davy. 
When Sammy heard Julie and I were communists, he offered to buy us tickets to Russia. Maybe we should have taken him up on it. My dad came here from Russia and my mom from Austria. I never once saw any signs of love between them. My dad would tease her sometimes, trying to get her out of a mood, I guess, because she is always in one. She is a sour and resentful person, sarcastic and, uh, Ethel, cut up the chicken. Ethel, help Davy with his numbers. Ethel, get your nose out of that book. You won't find a husband in there. Ethel, you're not getting any younger. I can't win with her. I mean, why bother when my brothers are always her favorite? After all, they're sons. My dad, now he, oh, he and I had fun together. Like when he'd take me to the Yiddish theater to see Molly Pecan or Boris Tomaszewski, or we'd stroll down the street and he'd crack jokes about our neighbors. He said Mrs. Finkel was such a bad cook, the rats brought her food. Ah. <laughs> uh. I miss him. He liked music, my dad. I guess I get it from him. I did a lot of acting and singing in high school. After I graduated, I joined a drama group at the local settlement house. Acting got me away from the craziness at home. I met a lot of really talented people there who treated me with respect. That took some getting used to. One time I won second prize singing in a talent show at the Lowe's Theater on Delancey Street. I'm not the girl you used to know when you went off to war. Years and battles have changed us both and closed off many a door. I see clouds, not stars, in your dark eyes now, and I don't melt when we touch. I'm not the girl you used to know, but I still love you just as I know I don't look all that hot or that bright on the outside, but if you could see me from the inside, you'd be pretty darn impressed. I'm dazzling once you get to know me. Just ask Julie. I'm Natasha Sinyanovich. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for Act Two.